happened. She and the other boys and girls had made placemats with bright green handprints and pretty painted flowers coming from the top of every finger. They sang a song, and Emily could hear their young, off-key voices booming out, Thanks for all you do. Mommy, I love you. As with everything around Mother's Day, Emily directed the words to her grandma. Even back then, she'd known. She was the only kindergartner without a mother. The only one whose mommy left when she was just a few weeks old. Now she watched her kindergarten self as the memory of what happened next played back, every painful detail intact. Grandma, she asked, where is my mommy? Do you know? Her grandmother got sort of nervous. No, sweetie. Papa and I tried to find her, but, well, we haven't had any luck. Emily had felt suddenly lost, like the day she was at the park and couldn't find her papa. Then an idea came to her. She smoothed her fancy dress and swung her legs, setting her patent leather shoes in motion. Maybe I could find her. Honey, her grandma patted her hair. I don't think she wants to be found. And that was that. Emily drew a shuddering breath, relieved that the memory was over. But on its heels came another. The time she was 13, and all of eighth grade was getting the talk. I feel funny talking about girl stuff in school, she told one of her friends at lunch that day. Seems like it should be private. So talk to your mom, the friend smiled. Moms are great for that. The emptiness and loss were so terrible. Emily felt like there was an actual hole in her heart, a hole so thorough she bet her friend could see straight through her. That afternoon, Emily went home and made a promise. Someday, I'm going to find my parents, no matter what. Emily brushed a hand across her face as though she could free her mind from the haunting thoughts. She opened her eyes and stared at the box. Eventually, her grandparents got Internet access. After that, there were days of typing in her mother's name. L-A-U-R-E-N. A-N-D-E-R-S-O-N. And searching through lists of school teachers and scientists and track stars. But never not in all the thousand entries that popped up, making her breathless with possibility, did she find her mother. Same with her dad. She'd spent hopeless afternoons looking for him any way she could imagine. And now, at 18, she was no closer to finding them than when she first started. What she wanted, what she'd always wanted, was the truth. Because the sketchy details she knew made up barely a handful of dots, nowhere near enough to connect. Cobwebs stuck to the top of the box, and Emily brushed them off. She let her hands rest on the old, worn carton, wondering, could it be? Did this box hold the secrets? Secrets that would answer the questions that had haunted Emily all her life? Why did her mother leave? Where was she? 
Why hadn't she been in touch since she ran away? Had her parents ever connected again? She gripped the top of the box. Maybe, maybe she was about to discover enough pieces to put together a trail. And maybe the trail would lead her to the story. She couldn't wait another minute as she opened the side flaps. It was really happening. She was about to see her mother's things, touch them, and read them, and breathe them in. Her heart beat so hard and fast, she wondered if her grandparents could hear it downstairs. She peered inside. The first few items were framed photographs of her parents. Emily reached in, lifting them with careful fingers. Beneath them were yearbooks and folded handwritten letters. Emily's heart jumped. Hours of exploration stretched before her. As she pulled out the contents of the box, she lay each item on her bed, staring at it even as she reached for the next item. Did the letters hold declarations of love from her dad to her mom? Maybe words that explained the feelings they had for each other, or their plans for after their baby was born. She would read them later. For now, she had to keep digging because she had to make it through the entire box, just in case, in case the answers lay somewhere near the bottom. She reached back into the carton and pulled out another layer of pictures and photo albums, and two-thirds of the way down, a tattered, stuffed bear. Only after the bear was removed did she see something that caused her loud, demanding heart to jerk to a silent halt journals, eight, maybe ten of them, and beneath those what looked like notebooks, dozens of notebooks. Emily rifled through the carton, collecting the journals and placing them on the bed next to the photos, yearbooks, and letters. Then she pulled out the first notebook and opened it. The pages were a little warped and yellowed, filled with page after page of narrative and dialogue. Emily scanned the text and caught her breath. She'd found it, a missing piece. Her mother was a writer. She set that notebook on the bedspread and reached for another. This one was thicker, and on the front, someone, her mother probably, had written, Lauren loves Shane. Emily stared at the words and felt the sting of tears in her eyes. Her hands trembled, and she ran her thumb over the words. She slid further back on the bed until she was leaning against the wall. She propped a pillow behind her and settled in. The clues she'd been hunting for all her life had to be here, buried somewhere between the paper covers of these spiral-bound notebooks. In the stories her mother had written, the stories she'd left behind. Tales of her parents' love. Maybe the story of their loss. And perhaps even the reason why they'd gone away and left their baby to live without them. Biting her lip, Emily turned the page, and then, carefully, so as not to miss a single detail, she began to read. Chapter 1 March 12, 1988 The death of a friendship was usually slow and insidious, like the wearing away of a hillside after years of too much rain, a handful of misunderstandings, a season of miscommunication, 
the passing of time, and where once stood two women with a dozen years of memories and tears and conversation and laughter, where once stood two women closer than sisters, now stood two strangers. But Angela Anderson had no time to consider those things, no warning that such a death was about to occur, because her friendship with Sheila Gallanter died a sudden death the afternoon of March 12, 1988, in the time it took Angela to say a single sentence. Lauren wants to keep the baby. That was it. The look on Sheila's face said it all. Angela's teenage daughter, Lauren, had been in love with Sheila's son, Shane, since the kids were ten years old. Both families were Chicago upper crust with healthy six-figure incomes, known in all the right circles across the city, prominent members at the most elite clubs. Their husbands owned a bank together, and by all estimates, the kids' futures were figured out. On afternoons when Angela and Sheila bared their hearts, snickering about the pompous women they knew, planning trips to London, and complaining about the five pounds they'd gained over the holidays, they sometimes dreamed about their children's future. The engagement that would likely come after college, the ring, and, of course, the wedding. Then, to leave room for the kids to make up their own minds, they'd laugh about how silly they were, and let the dreams pass. But as the years wore on, Shane grew smitten with Lauren, and there seemed more truth than silliness to the possibility. When the kids started their junior year in high school, Shane had, between baseball games, started referring to the impending wedding. After I marry your daughter...